Hello, I'm Jim and this is Sound Business, a podcast all about sound. If you are a marketeer or you run a brand or sell a product, you will already know the value of a community over a customer. A customer may occasionally buy what you have on offer. A community lives, breathes and identifies with everything that you stand for. They aren't just a customer. They are also an advocate for your brand or product and a marketing tool in their own right. Not only does that all ring true in the world of podcasting, but also as a tool for building a community, podcasting is incredibly effective because of the way it creates a connection with its audience. All that is the focus on today's sound business podcast, the power of community when it comes to podcasting. On this show, we're going to explore three different viewpoints and experiences when it comes to building and nurturing a community within podcasting or for podcasting. First, you're going to hear from Helen Zaltzman, who was an early trailblazer in the podcasting space with her highly regarded Answer Me This podcast. She also heads up her own podcast community on Facebook, the Podcasters Support Group. I'll be speaking to co-founder of Pods Up North, an annual podcasting event in Manchester, Kate Cocker, who not only set up that fantastic podcast networking event, but has also built her own community around a niche audio project. And finally, Adam Jarrell will join me on the podcast. Adam is one of the brilliant minds behind the hilarious podcast, The Offensive, which is a great example of how to successfully leverage a podcast community in order to create revenue and funding for the show. Loads of different takes and loads of different stories to dig into on this podcast. But let's start with Helen Zaltzman. Once of Answer Me This, top of the tree in the podcaster support group and right now creating the fantastic language-based podcast, The Illusionist. We're going to get her take on podcasting and community. Helen Zaltzman, how are you and where are you? Hi, I am fine and I am in my home studio, which is in the spare room cupboard. So there's some coats and cardigans doing the <laughs> soundproofing for us. Excellent. Well, great soundproofing. Not, not great for a look in these worlds of uh, visualisation, but always good soundproofing to Are have you coats accusing and my cupboard. cardigans of? <laughs> and you've seen sound foam it looks terrible this is very true it's a cardigan jim <laughs> well thanks very much for joining me on today's sound business we're going to talk about podcasting communities and i wanted to start with a bit of your background and the answer me this podcast which will be a show that loads of people are aware of and it was a show that by its very nature it felt like it had a community around it from the off because it was based on people corresponding with you and answering asking questions which you'd then attempt to answer on the podcast with your co-presenters as well were you conscious when you started that podcast that it would kind of create this community around it no not at all we did it because we didn't want to have to provide all the material ourselves from scratch <laughs> so we thought let's get the listeners to do it but we started the podcast Before everything was expected to be interactive, Twitter was still like in its infancy. It was the internal messaging system of a failing audio company that we did use in the first few weeks of the podcast. Facebook had only just become open to non-students. We did use MySpace, but I think there was just a different set of expectations. And so we were very, very lucky (laughs) to have inadvertently done that. When did you realise making this show then that you'd hit on something? And then when you had realised that, did you make an attempt to kind of nurture that community to contribute to the show's success? It's really hard to remember because it was a really long time ago. And I think at the time it was also just so much work. It was a weekly podcast for many years. 
and uh, it took three days to make an episode. So I had four days to try and earn enough money to live and find work and get paid for the work. So I was freelance. So there's probably more that we could have done, but just physically couldn't. And also, I think a lot of it is dependent on what platforms are available. And at the time, it was chat rooms, which we just weren't frequenters of and we weren't that mm. happy with and we, we didn't really trust. Facebook was not set up for that kind of thing at the start. It was much less conversational than it is now in groups like they set up groups and then basically got rid of them made everyone have a page and now they're they're kind of marginalizing pages again so you're very dependent on what other things are available would you do it differently now do you think because as you say there are more tools available now i think the idea of building a podcast community has become more of a thing if you were setting up answer me this in the modern environment do you think you'd approach it in a completely different way <laughs> I don't know it's it's impossible to think about that because it was I was a different person then I was 26 so if I'm talking about different things I'd do with answer me this the community aspect is in the queue but not primary but mm. certainly if I was starting a new podcast now and the podcast environment is incredibly different that would be very important to me to think about that it's always on my mind in the different shows that I do. It's been, again, slightly limited by the amount of time I've had being uh, uh, a little scant. But I, I think it's a really good thing for podcasters to think about the community they have with their listeners and then the community they have with other podcasters or other independent creators. I want to get more into that in just a moment and kind of the community side of podcasting from a audience relationship point of view and in terms of podcaster to podcaster. Mm. But first off, why do you think the idea of a community inverted commas has become such a podcasty thing? Because you don't hear about a new episode or new series of Line of Duty needing to establish a community around it or Newsnight as a BBC <laughs> news programme needing to have a community about it. But there's this narrative that if you want to build a successful podcast, you need to have a community to support it. Or rather, when you look at the podcasts that have been successful, they are ones that have a lot of life outside of the podcast itself and you can't necessarily predict that I, I don't think serial would have predicted that they had all these like citizen detectives on reddit trying to figure things out because that wasn't the background that they came from they were from this american life which wasn't really somewhere where they were like online chatting with their listeners all the time in in groups and then you look at the success of you're wrong about in the last couple of years has been absolutely huge and the who weekly podcast has spawned loads of Facebook groups in several, which are very entertaining. That's without even the the hosts being involved in those groups really directly. I remember talking to the creators of Night Vale a year or so after that show had become big and they said it took them completely by surprise because they were writing this weird fiction monologue show. And then it took off and they discovered it was because all these people had been doing tumblers about artwork where they visualised the world or doing cosplay and writing fanfic and I think if you went into it looking for those things to happen they might but it's more likely to happen <laughs> when mm. you don't expect it which is not to say you can't do anything to encourage fans getting involved I, I think sometimes also it can be a bad thing this goes beyond podcasts you know like fandoms getting really angry at their childhoods being ruined by reversions of Ghostbusters or Star Wars <laughs> that is when fandom is bad I think in podcasting it's usually not quite as noxious as that. I guess there's two different elements there. There's the one side of it, which is organic. And a successful show will often lead to an organic fan base, an organic community. And there's those communities that have been nurtured. And we see that 
community aspect being monetized more and more at the moment as yeah. well by Patreon, etc., etc. We'll get onto that a bit more shortly, but I want to talk about another podcasting community that you head up or you've set up on Facebook, Podcasters Support Group. Now, if people haven't discovered this, how would you describe Podcasters Support Group? <laughs> it's like a big, swirling, hot tub <laughs> full of questions about microphones and stuff. Yeah, it's a, a group that I started actually in person in 2014. I'd been meeting up with a lot of podcasters I knew who wanted advice or were feeling kind of existential malaise about what they were doing or they were asking about certain financial deals they'd been offered and whether it was a good rate or not and it never really was and I thought if these people that are very experienced and that I really admire need advice from me there's loads of other people that are you know much less established who will need it so I started having these meetups also because some people were charging podcasters for meetups and I thought that seems terrible I'll do it for free and what was really nice about the meetups was just people encountering each other and sparking off each other and some of them started working together on their things and then the Facebook group began just to tell people when the meetups were but it quickly became its own thing and for a while it was smallish and just a little bit dull and then podcasting became bigger and bigger and suddenly loads of people arrived and it became just a constant effort to stop it from descending into complete hell. Uh, (laughs) I think that's another thing about community management once they get beyond a certain size it just feels like damage limitation it's not so good things don't happen but it's very different I think if you are a podcaster or creative of any kind you might want to be a member of different types of community like maybe Mm. like maybe you've got um, a couple of other podcasters or or five where you regularly check in with each other almost like a book group but for Mm. your mutual work and then maybe you're in some slightly bigger ones of a few dozen, up to a couple of hundred people. So you hear about what different types of people are doing. and Maybe you haven't met all those people. I'm in a few of those and they're really interesting. And then you've got the big groups where they're somewhat limited by what the majority want. And the majority of people in those groups are people who are starting podcasting. So there's a lot more people who haven't podcasted than people who have, although I'm sure the tipping point will come. <laughs> uh, and therefore, they are going to be overwhelmed with questions about how to start and a lot of that is boring which is not the fault of most of the people asking or there's a lot of kind of grifters around in podcasting Mm. at the moment and a lot of people just trying to publicize themselves so just trying to limit the amount of that so that more interesting questions can come through and people can actually have healthy conversations with each other you'd be surprised at the violence of people's feelings about usb microphones say or hosting (laughs) platforms it gets very impassioned and often not in a good way it's like thirty-three thousand people now in the podcasters support group and i've met some really lovely ones through that i've made it sound very bad but i've met some great people who've become real life friends and some people have been very sweet about what the group does for them but to me i'm just like okay what's the least worst (laughs) that i can make it Mm. it's interesting i'm a member of the podcasters support group and it seems to be primarily, I see a value in it in it being a place where people who are slightly cautious of taking that leap can get support and advice. But you're right, it does seem like other communities that I'm involved with on social media, like I'm in, involved with a running community, and there's definitely 
varying types of people within that community. There's、mm. the people who are very supportive and collaborative. There's the people who just want to go on there to talk about themselves and what they're doing. And there are the people that just want to go on there to shoot other people down and make themselves、mm. feel better about their projects. So if you were going to kind of go, this is the value of. This community. This is the one thing that I think is more important than anything else when it comes to this group of people you've created. What would you say it was? I hope it's that they feel like they're not alone and that what they're doing is valid. Because podcasting can be very solitary. You can really get trapped in your own head.、Mm. There's a lot of technical stuff and a lot of creative stuff colliding, and it's hard to really have the knack for all of the things that are involved on on those spectrums. And it's incredibly time-consuming. Even if you do the bare minimum, it really can ruin your life. So at least in the groups, you're like, okay, no one else in my life really cares that I'm doing this, and some of them are actively hostile. But these other people validate what I'm doing, and I think people creating stuff. It's there's so many reasons not to get off your ass and do things.、Mm. So many compelling reasons. And if we can just remove some of the barriers to doing it by making knowledge. Available and for free, then it's worth it. Now, the podcasting space since your early days in answering me this has changed dramatically.、Um, mm. I've been making podcasts for around fifteen years, I think, as well. So I've seen it change hugely as well.、It's、yeah, we're antiques, Jim. Yeah, yeah we're very much so. <laughs> I mean, it's moved from a very collaborative space, I think, to somewhere that potentially is more competitive than it was before. What do you think has driven? That change. Do you think it's the fact it has become more professional? There is more of a commercial side to people's approach to podcasting now. I mean, capitalism can certainly ruin everything, can't it? <laughs>、um, I think that before about 2015, you didn't get into podcasting for any reason except for you wanted to make a podcast. And it's not that there hadn't been successful podcasts before then; there had. But if you went into it then for the money, you were an idiot. And then after that, people could go in it for the money. It's sort of like property developing in a neighbourhood that is starting to come up, and they're like,、mm. "Oh, look, I've seen it start to come up now," which means I'm going to leap in there and knock down a load of buildings and build some tiny little flats that I'm going to sell for a lot. It's the same as happened in podcasting, which doesn't do a neighbourhood any good. Which is not to say there aren't wonderful communities happening. Like the audio drama community is very mutually supportive and. They really look after each other, and that might be because audio drama is really hard to make. It's very time intensive.、Uh, it requires a lot of time, a lot of kit, and I don't know if any audio dramas have been enormous money spinners. So again, you would only do an audio drama because you love it and you really want to. But、um, I think going back to your question earlier about what is it about podcasting in particular that felt so community-ish with listeners. I think it was because for the first several years that you and I were doing it, it was so difficult to obtain podcasts. It was much more of a hassle than it became when iPhones had podcast apps pre-installed and you could just click a little thing to、mm. subscribe. It used to be a lot more of a pain, and people didn't know what they were. So the people who were into podcasts were really into podcasts, and they were just glad to have some free entertainment. And they felt very close to the podcasters because they tended to be. Fairly streamlined operations, and even when you had people from big organisations like Mayo and Kermode from the BBC, the podcast audience felt like they were in a room with them. And I don't know whether people would feel like that now with the really big productions that are being made. Whether it feels like old media in the way that you sense the layers of、mm. corporate and commissioners and whatnot, compared to just a person in a room with a mic 
who is doing everything on the show and talking to the listener more directly. Do you think because of that, podcasting's in danger of losing its superpower, I guess you'd call it, because traditionally there has been this relationship between the person making a show, the presenter, and the audience. It's been incredibly interpersonal, and it has felt like... I guess it's why commercial sponsorship has been accepted and live reads and host read ads, etc. are expected because people have this connection with the person that's talking directly to mm. them. But I guess if you add this layer of big business to it, be it the BBC or be it a commercial entity, does that act as a blocker between the podcast and its audience slash community? Well, I think when you've got broadcasting organisations and other media organisations in, it's a bit different for them because they have always had to be somewhat aware of who they're selling the product to and what their tastes are, even if I don't necessarily agree with their ways of it. They're more aware of that than, say, I don't know, a merchant bank (laughs) Mm. or a petrol station. But since the pod boom began a few years ago, you've had people coming in, execs coming in, who are not from this space. And the really sad thing to me about the pod boom is that they just see listeners as numbers and that's it. They don't think, What kind of relationships do listeners have with podcasts? Because we're really part of listeners' lives. And over several years, in a lot of cases, it's such a special and sweet relationship. And they don't care about that. They're just like, okay, we need however many thousands or millions of clicks. And the humans behind the clicks are irrelevant. And I think that's really short-sighted. Because, like we were saying, the people who've managed to (laughs) act like their listeners are fully-fledged human beings... It really works great for them in longevity, in monetization, in love for the show. Do you think that's the secret to building a successful podcast now then in terms of, because you've got people like, again, the BBC or a commercial organization, they're pumping thousands of pounds into their podcasts by getting a big name star to front it or by marketing their campaign on billboards. Now has it become, if you are an Mm. indie starting out, if you want to make an impact, is it about nurturing the individual rather than that big number? Yeah, I don't know at this point what is a successful podcast nor how to get one. I feel like the parameters have changed so much. I think we're in a very strange state at the moment where you have certain companies spending, frankly, irresponsibly. You know, Spotify have spent a billion dollars on podcasters whilst also letting staff go. But they Mm. spent like $80 million on Dak Shepard, $60 million on Call Her Daddy. That's one person. $100 million on Joe Rogan. It's unclear yet whether that has worked out for them. And those podcasts were already successful. So I guess they're financially successful now because they have all that Spotify money and they never need work again. And I guess Spotify can buy them billboards. But in terms of other kinds of success, I really don't know. In some ways, the success is just doing the thing, isn't it? Mm. How do you define it? And then how do you get there? I think in a couple of years' time, all the pieces will have shifted again. And this conversation, if we were to revisit it, would, would be very different. But I think if smaller companies enter into it just wanting to make something unusual and original and great and something that cultivates new talent, not that many people might hear it. On the other hand, a lot of people might hear it and be like, wow, that's incredible. I think it's, like I said, really hard to predict what is going to capture people's imagination. And I think throwing some quite unusual things out there would be great. Before we finish today's conversation, I just want to circle back to kind of the focus of this podcast, which is the value of community in podcasting and building a community within podcasting. And I think one of the things that puts a lot of people off is it just feels like work. It feels like effort. The people who create (laughs) podcasts, they do it because they want to 
stand sit in front of a microphone they want to talk about something and the idea of then going to message groups or creating additional content or whatever it is it feels like an extra layer it starts to feel like a job so what advice would you give people who they feel a need to create a community around their podcast but they don't necessarily want to go to a whole load of extra effort yeah i understand that because i often have not had the time to really do things other than the podcast itself and that has to be the first thing because and it feels like that should be enough right it feels like that should be (laughs) you feel like creating something brilliant should be enough yeah and i think for a lot of people as well it is that for me the product is incomplete without the listeners involvement in it and without them adding their thoughts to it It's, it's meant to be more conversational even though it in actuality isn't it's it's didactic but it's not meant to sound didactic whereas other people i think they're like this is my art and you get to consume it and buy. You know, it's it's more remote and I don't think that's bad. I think it's just a different way of doing things. But I think a way of doing it is just by, within the podcast itself, having some little callbacks to things or little in-jokes. I don't like things where it feels exclusionary if you're a new listener and you can't Mm. get into it. But there are ways to do it where I think it, it serves old timers and newcomers where it just feels a bit idiosyncratic and very specific to the world that you've built. So I think if you can do things in the tone that suits the world you've built, listeners will pick up on that, even if that's all you ever do. Then they can do the rest, if they want. Helen, lovely to chat to you on Sound Business. Keep up the good work, and thank you very much for your time. (laughs) I'll try, thank you. If you want to hear more from Helen than you can do on her current podcast project, The Illusionist, you'll find a link to that in the episode description on this podcast, where you'll also find a link to the Podcasters Support Group, which is a must if you are someone who produces their own podcast or is thinking about producing your own podcast. Next on this episode, we're going to hear from Kate Cocker, who is one of the brains behind Pods Up North a Manchester-based podcasting festival that you'll hear more about shortly. Kate is also the host of Everyday Positivity, director of The Presenter Coach, where she helps people in and outside the world of audio be better public speakers. And she's got her own production company, Purposeful Podcasts. It's a marvel doing all that, that she actually had time to speak to me, but she did. And here are her views of the power of community when it comes to podcasting. Kate Cocker. Hello. How are you and where are you? Oh, how am I? Where am I? I'm well and I'm in Manchester, thank you. In my, You'll love this. I've made a, and essentially it's a blanket fort in my bedroom because we're having some building work done in the house and I've created a studio out of soundproof blank or sound acoustic blankets and a tea stands out of a photo booth. It sounds good though, doesn't it? Every good home podcaster knows if they've done it at some point in a hotel room or a home, how to build a good pillow fort or a blanket fort or something yeah, like that. Absolutely. It's a secret. I know. But from the outside, it looks like I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not talking about good blanket fort construction today. We're talking about podcasting and the community. And you've got an interesting take on this, I think, because not only are you one of the founders of Pods Up North, a community of northern podcast creators, yeah. but you've also developed your own community of podcast listeners with your everyday positivity brand. So we're going to talk about both of those. I want to talk about Pods Up North first. Mm -hmm. So for those who aren't familiar with Pods Up Mm -hmm. North, what is it? And I guess more importantly for the context of what we're talking about, why is it? So Pods Up North is a conference essentially or a learning space for podcasters. What we were really aware of when we set it up in 2019 was that there were the broadcasters who podcast and there were the podcasters and both worlds weren't really 
mixing, mm. if you like. But I felt like I was one of the people who had a broadcast hat and a podcaster hat. And when I say podcasters, I mean, you've got people in their bedrooms making podcasts. You've got film companies making podcasts. You know, there were people coming from a different space, like the BBC and, and all of that. And in some ways, you know, having been in radio all that time, I felt that the podcasting space was really fascinating and trying new things and doing things that the broadcast space was at the time a little bit behind on, you know. So what I wanted to do or what we wanted to do was really bring those two communities together, the broadcasters who were doing it kind of professionally in inverted commas and the podcasters who were like in the wild west of podcasting and learning as they went and doing it brilliantly. So that was my aim. And also I just felt that as podcasting grew, that there was all this stuff going on in London or, you know, in America and like with the podcast movement, which was in Orlando at the time, and I think still does various stuff there. You know, there were these th big things going on, but there was not really anything in the North that was represented. And I was so aware of the fact that there were so many podcasters in mm. the North. And I think at the time, Manchester Podcast Festival had set up and they did like a year and none of the podcasts on the Manchester Podcast Festival were from Manchester. And I was like, I know all these <laughs> podcasters in Manchester. Why are they not being represented? Like they're good podcasts, they're not small. So that was why. So that's a combination of those three things, really, of us, you know, me and Vic, especially. And then we got Ant Vic Turnbull and then we got Ant McGinley on board as well to, to set this up because we just felt that there was this community that wasn't being looked after in that location. I want to come back to the sharing of ideas aspects in just a moment. But yes, picking up on the geographical thing why did it feel that like yeah. it was important to create something that was founded in manchester and recognized north as a creative hub in a world that is ultimately increasingly virtual now manchester is a very unique city it has a real civic pride it's proud of its own yes was that the feeding point or was it kind of a recognition that this doesn't all have to be based in london or in la well i think i mean i'm gonna cite you, you were doing quite a successful podcast at the time my husband was doing a really successful podcast at the time. There was like, Audio Always was there. Mm. It, all this stuff was going on in Manchester. And then, you know, some of the key players now, two years ago, people hadn't heard of rebel-based media in the podcasting world. You know, the Anfield Rap, Fight Disciples, yeah, yeah. these podcasts were all in the north. And I was like, why are we being asked to go and see these podcasts that are from, essentially from London, when there's all this thriving community here, we need to bring those people together. And the best thing about Pods Up North wasn't just that we brought, got to put those people on stages. We also, by putting it out there, all of a sudden, you know, like the woman who makes podcasts about knitting bees <laughs> turned up. You know, it was like there's these people in all these places. Like there's Amy Woods running Content 10X out of Wilmslow. You know, there's all these mm. people in this community. Colin up in Edinburgh. So we even stretched up to Edinburgh. Rebel Base Media obviously over in, I think, I'm going to say Leeds, but it might be Sheffield. And I can never remember. Mark will, Mark will be cross with me. Huddersfield, I think. Huddersfield, yeah. So and now they're Captivate, which is one of the key you know, one, one of, I think, the biggest hosting platforms now. So I really felt like there was this, I guess it was my ego and Manchester's ego and the Northwest's ego put together, stamping my foot and going, no, this is important. We need people to know that we exist here and we're doing really well. It's interesting when you talk about the professional audio guys and the guys who are kind of in the wild west of podcasting coming together in one place. I never considered that before. Yeah. That's kind of two communities within one community in terms of podcasting did you feel at the event and when pods up north kind of came about that there was this genuine sharing of ideas because i think sometimes in this space the guys who have been making audio for 10 15 years they kind of go we know it these are the rules this is what we do whereas the people who are maybe more relatively new to the audio space and have explored 
podcasting is a new way to communicate for them. They don't play by the rules and often they have as much to contribute, but maybe they look at it with a completely fresh pair of eyes or fresh pair of ears. Did you find that each was accepting of the other in an equal way? Yeah, I did. So it's funny talking about Pods Up North because obviously we did it in 2019 as a live event. Then in 2020, 2020, 2020, we did it as a virtual event. And last year, we all just didn't know what we were doing. So it's been quite, we know, it's something that we want to do again. Mm. But what has happened is that that live event, when we were all together, there was something really special that happened on that day. And it just, it, I think it sits in the hearts of the people that were there in that, yes, those two communities came together and more. And we learnt from each other. And I do think there was a genuine sharing of ideas. I do think there was a genuine excitement. I can visualise the people who were there. It just felt really good. Like we walked through the door and all the volunteers were like, hiya, big smile on face, really welcoming to anyone and everyone that came in the door. And I do think that it came at the right time because I think the industry, broadcast industry, were starting to wake up to the fact that maybe we don't know everything. Mm. And... It gave people who had learnt loads about podcasting that weren't broadcast people with all these new ideas, it allowed them in. My biggest thing is that I just remember John O'Wall, head of BBC Sound, commissioner of BBC Sounds, I remember him saying, it's time to professionalise. I really heard that. I really took that on board. And I think that he was basing it on the fact that at the time, Spotify just bought Gimlet and we were just, that was growing. And he was like, compared to America, like this is a big game in America and we need to step our game up and I think if you look back over the last two years that's something that I certainly feel has happened in the podcasting industry. It's interesting you say that with John O'Wall's words ringing in your ears about the professional nature of podcasting because we Mm. would have heard from Helen Zaltzman earlier in the podcast who maybe cited the professionalization of the industry or certainly the monetization of the industry as one of the blockers in terms Mm. of creating community and bringing people together because sometimes it's not always the listeners that become the most important thing they become numbers they become statistics do you think the two can marry up well yeah I do so I think it's really interesting because I think business in general is going through a bit of a change you see it all the time that I mean you take a brand like Patagonia Patagonia is a totally purpose-led brand you know they stand for something and That, I think, is something that businesses are under pressure to do more and more and more. And we've seen this over the last two, three years, and it's probably been exemplified and exaggerated by the pandemic, that there's a purpose around business now. And businesses are starting to understand that you need to display your vulnerability, your heart and what you stand for. And in that, they can make podcasts. So that's the power of a podcast is that people will have the time to spend with you to see that heart and soul. I guess it's like any any form of marketing, isn't it? Any form of marketing comes down to knowing who you're talking to and yeah. knowing what message you want to deliver. Yeah, and the thing is that it is funny. It depends. So even, you know, in the last six months, I've had conversations with people at the BBC who said, oh, I couldn't listen to that podcast because it was all too branded. And I'm like, there was one mention. <laughs> so so that I think there will always be some people who, or some broadcasters who kind of want that sanctity of non-commercialization or non-professionalization if you like but to me you're absolutely right it's all about audience and if you start slapping brand names all over the beginning and ends of your podcasts or even through the middle or you and you're not getting the tone right that's where it goes wrong and podcasting still needs to maintain that wild west feel I, I talk about it a lot I love mm. that feeling that 
podcasting is the wilderness of audio. You know, it's it's where we learn, it's where we fall, it's where we fail, it's where we grow, it's where we can do exciting things. It's meant to feel like a peek behind the curtain. And actually for businesses, it works really well to have that then because you've got a curtain to peek behind. You know, you've got that front, so you can peek behind the curtain. And it's the ability to surprise and shock yeah. and do something different that I think is part of the beauty of podcasting as well. Yeah. It's probably a good junction point here to talk about everyday positivity, which is the flip side of what you do from a community basis. It's you as a creator. Yeah. Again, for context, describe exactly what everyday positivity is and where it is now. So everyday positivity is 1,306 episodes old. It's a daily <laughs> podcast that's designed to remind you to be kind to yourself. So on average, the episodes are about two and a half, three minutes long. It started out as a flash briefing and then we grew it out to a podcast. So kind of the spokes of the wheel, you know, pointing back to the flash briefing. Hmm. The spokes of the wheel being the Spotify, the Apple podcast, blah, blah, blah. And the community grew in the Facebook group. Now sits at nearly 12,000, I think we're at, in terms of the Facebook group. That's it. That's the that's the context. It's a daily podcast. And now I suppose, so it's grown to 12,000. We get a really good, sizable audience on a day-to-day basis. The production value is very low. Like, it's literally just me talking. So I basically feel like it's like a radio link. Mm. That's what I think about. I think I'm doing a link. You know, this year we released a workbook. So it's like a colouring book. Oh, I released a workbook, like a colouring book and um, a journal mixed in one. And there are mugs on the horizon. And I'm doing coaching sessions through it and I've just done a hundred days to self it's called a like a hundred days the first hundred days of 2022 it's a course six sessions so I do like virtual courses as well and everything through it so that's kind of the growth if you like but the community itself I've learned loads from you described kind of what it's grown into but when it started as a flash briefing back in 2018 or whenever it would have been did you plan this was going to be a community did you realize it was going to be a bigger thing or was that purely organic it was purely organic. We did throw some... We I do it with a company called Volley in the States who are experts in Amazon skills at the time, Alexa skills at the time. And we launched it as a flash briefing and Everyday Positivity was a skill in itself and then Volley FM grew from that. So there was all that sort of stuff going on in the background anyway. In terms of how we grew it, it was lots of testing. It was lots of trying and testing. And I suddenly became really aware I needed a place where people could come. So we set up the Facebook group. And then I think we ran some advertising, some Facebook sponsored ad type things. Nothing like I think just boosted posts mm. or something like that. It's a long time ago. I can't remember exactly. But I tell you what actually brought, you know, really boosted it was that when we did the, when it was an Amazon skill flash briefing, we did loads of work around getting reviews because that was something that really helped the search function in Amazon and that helped and then building the community and then getting people to, you know, I talk about it, you know, it's a daily podcast and out, two out of the seven days I'd say something about the Facebook group so that it would just boost every time I said something. It's tying that circle, I suppose. It's like getting the, the visibility, pushing for the visibility, pushing people to the Facebook group and growing and growing that way. So no, I would never have known. I would never have known it would get this big. No. It it sounds like it was fairly organic in terms of the way it grew and like I say caught you by surprise. Do you think that's part of the reason it did grow because it was it was driven by other people. It felt authentic, I guess in what you were doing as well, and that's part of what's important about a community. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well it has that one clear has a has a clear purpose. 
And that's how you build up a community. It's that I'm constantly, I'm really clear on it. I want people to remember to be kind to themselves. I want people to know that they have a choice and know that in a good positive mindset, they can do anything with it. You know, that's what I want. I want people to feel good every mm. single day. And at the time I set it up, I just had a really rough period. Like I've suffered depression at various points in my life, but I think I went through a state of depression where I didn't know why. It wasn't like I just had a baby or just lost my job. Mm. or just, I just was like, I don't know why. And I know that I need this. I need someone to remind me every day that, come on, it's all right. You know, everything's fine. This is how we look at it. This is where we're going. You're okay. And so I did it. And I think that clear purpose is something that people can unite around, really, because I think a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel like, oh, yeah, I'm allowed to be nice to myself. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to build it around. Now you've got this group of thousands of people and you've got this listener base. How does the workload break up between creating the content? So the audio content I'm talking about here in terms of the short form podcast and how much of it is it is nurturing the community or trying to grow that community or is it still all about the audio and the community side just kind of takes care of itself? I love those listeners. I love every single one of them. I see them like a one body. <laughs> I, <laughs> there's been some really odd moments like I was at my, my grandmother-in-law's funeral a couple of years ago and there was this moment where I was like, oh, I really want the everyday positivity listeners here. Like, it was like, <laughs> they're like a comfort to me as much as I am to them. It was really odd feeling. But I hear what you're saying. And actually, I see them like a community. And I sometimes forget that it's okay to just do the podcasts because they're listening regularly and that that's service enough. You know, don't get me wrong. We are absolutely thinking about... So I've got a little team, a small team. There's the volley guys. They help me out from time to time, but they've got quite... They do quite a lot of other things as well. So there's Will, who's my producer, and me, and then my production team that I have as well, who will sometimes just... It's a really good entry-level edit for a producer, so I'll get them to, like, do the basic edit on me. Will will upload it, and Will and I, between us, will manage the community. So we do... We try and do monthly or bi-monthly, as in two times a month, meet up we call it the everyday positivity hangout and that's free and that's just a zoom call and we talk about stuff with people all over the world which is amazing and that's also brilliant because it feeds my content so I understand what the community want and need we do a newsletter as monthly as we can because there's obviously quite a lot of work on and then it's about just I'm always in the Facebook group almost daily just checking what's been posted and replying to people and saying thank you and and just being just being in that space with them Everything you say seems to come back to connection, I think. And you and I know the power of audio is creating that interpersonal connection, that kind of feeling that you know someone or you're connected with someone in some way. And that feels like what it all pins on, particularly with everyday positivity, but arguably with any podcast that's created a strong community around it. Finally, before I let you go, Kate, yeah. if you had someone starting off and you look at any list nowadays of how to grow a podcast, how to create a successful podcast, one of the items in that list is make a podcast community, found a podcast community. If you were talking to someone who was looking to create a podcast and they wanted a community arm to that, a community element, an element of listeners who really talk to each other and talk to the creators as well, what would be your tips on how to drive that? When I engage people in podcasting, I always ask them about, I tell you what, audience is the, the, the last thing that people think about. And I try and get it to be the first thing. And actually for podcasts, I've heard it a couple of times over the last couple of days, Podca uh, podcast is about giving some people something new, giving them company. They want to sit and listen to you. They want to be delighted by you. But really the question I always ask is around like, what problem are you solving for your audience? Mm. 
And that problem can be, they just feel lonely. That's fine. That's an okay problem. But I can't, I can't credit myself with this. Janet Murray said it to, to me, um, who does content marketing. She's a content marketing expert. And she said, what is the one thing that unites your community? And that's about community building online. That's not just community building on as a podcast. And I think the one thing that we fall into the trap of is that we see these broadcasters making these brilliant podcasts with brilliant people. They are famous people who generally already have a community or the broadcaster is already a, a place that has a massive community. So they're going to get that top level. They don't have to engage massively deeply. If you're on your own and you're building a podcast to help your business or to help your own message, then you have to have that one line of what is going to unite this community and where are we going to catch them? Where are we going to have them? Or where are we going to build that community around? How are we going to communicate with them? So it's a two-way conversation. Do you see what I mean? Like, I think that's where the broadcast and the professionalization actually comes together because what the podcasters in the wilderness learn was how to build their communities and what the broadcasters already had was someone to broadcast at a community to broadcast at and so I think that's where the two things come together and you're 100% right it's not a it's not a podcast specific question it's a no it's, it's a community of any type in any environment what has brought those people together what is the driving factor yeah, and I think podcasting, the thing that broadcasters can't do is they can't experiment. So broadcast mediums still can't go, oh, we're going to guess that this part of the community isn't being looked after and we'll go towards them. And they're still quite broad in their, you know, in, they're called broadcasters for a reason, right? Because their communities are broad. You know, they're, demo, they're thinking demographically, they're thinking geographically, they're thinking, you know, diversity of story and, you know, they're thinking in bigger groups. Whereas with podcasting, you can literally... I know there's a podcast for people who like alpacas, you know, and that'll be a massive podcast <laughs> because it's so narrow casted and it's just that community of people. And actually that then brings together people from different demographics and different backgrounds and different places. So that's the difference, I think, in terms of building a community with a podcast or anywhere in the world these days. Audience is key. Well, if anyone needs positivity in their life, then there are links in the description. There's also information about Pods Up North if you're based in Manchester or around Manchester. The Alpaca podcast, I'll leave people to find themselves. They can do their own digging <laughs> to locate that. But Kate, it's been a pleasure to speak to you on Sound Business. Thank you. Some really interesting takes from Kate there, who said to me after the interview, after we'd hit stop, that midway through that conversation, she had an epiphany. If you listen back again to that interview, you might be able to spot it. All the things that Kate mentions in that interview and ways you can get in contact with Kate, again, are in the show notes. You'll find all the links you need there. Two down, one to go. And the final guest on today's Sound Business is Adam Jarrell from The Offensive, who is going to talk about leveraging your podcast community. Adam Jarrell, how are you and where are you? Hello, Jim. I'm in South East London and I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. I think I answered those the wrong way around. I'm all right and I'm in South, South East London. There we go. Do it whichever way you like. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. Before we get stuck into this podcast, which is focused around community and podcasting and the power of those things, tell us a little bit about the offensive as a podcast itself. Wow, right. The Offensive is a mockumentary comedy serial, I guess you'd call it. It's a weekly show. We follow a fictional Premier League football team that are based in the real world and we react to real world events and we do an episode a week. We're in our fourth season and it's been going really well. It, it's basically become mine and Joel Emery's life. 
Joel is my creative partner. He writes the show. I personally direct the show. I edit the show and I play one of the lead characters as well. I absolutely love it. It's a a demonstration of brilliant writing and crafted podcasting as well. So if you are a fan of kind of audio comedy drama or football or the thick of it for that matter it's kind of like a football version of the thick of it go and check it out yeah very much so very much so yeah we don't have any shame in saying it's basically the thick of it set in the boardroom (laughs) of a premier league football club we're not going to talk too much about the offensive so much in its podcast form today because this podcast is all focused around community and how to build them around podcasts and how to nurture them and A lot of the conversations we've had so far on this podcast have come down to the idea that podcasting creates a connection one-on-one between a listener and an audience and how that connection can then be used as a foundation of building a community. Now, with your show, this is very different because it's not a one-on-one intrapersonal communication. It's a fantasy scenario. It's a scripted comedy which features some often fairly dislikable characters, I think it's fair to say. (laughs) So how do you think the community has established around your podcast? Well, I think with regards to your question about community, there's nothing more tribal, especially in, in the UK, than football fans. And that's for better or for worse. I'm a big football fan myself. And I think For a lot of us here, it's almost like a religion. And with Ashwood City, that's our fictional team that are are based in Kent, I think when people start to listen to the show, they start to genuinely, sometimes subconsciously, become invested in their results, which is great. I mean, Joel and I are always very flattered that so many people literally buy into the club. And we wanted to make it as real as possible while still maintaining the comedic elements. There are some things that happen in real-life football that you'd think you couldn't write that. And Joel and I will think that's too unrealistic. Or, or if we have an idea for an episode, we go, no, no, that would never happen. And then two weeks later, Newcastle United go and actually do it. So it's, <laughs> it, you know, it's that, that kind of thing. I think people, they buy into it because they admire the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs of supporting a football club that anyone who's interested in football has that. You know, they always say you can change your partner, you can change your religion, but you can never change your football club. Yeah. And I think what Ashwood City do for people is they can... If you're having a bad time supporting, for instance, Huddersfield Town, which is my team, which happens quite a lot, not at the moment, touch wood, then you can maybe think, oh, well, at least Ashwood City won this week. We also run a Twitter account that is basically the football team. There's a lot There's a lot of stuff that happens on football Twitter, which is just absolutely ludicrous. So we thought we could buy into that, and we run that as a separate Twitter account to our actual podcast Twitter account, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And Ashwood City will tweet out goal gifts, they'll tweet out mistakes, leaked emails, you know, uh, faux pas and things like that. And it's that lends itself to it so people can actually, you know, suspend their disbelief with regards to following this fictional team. That's interesting that the community has kind of based itself around social rules that already exist around the idea of supporting a football team and it's kind of moved itself that way and bonded itself that way. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to you particularly about this podcast is it's not just the community you've set up around or the community that's formed around the offensive. It's the way you've managed to quite successfully leverage that community as well in terms of turning it into a revenue stream. When was the point you realised that this was going to be an option, that you had people that listen to the podcast that would be willing to fund it by a way that wasn't arguably say the advertising is traditional and I guess Patreon and donations etc is non-traditional so when did you first realize that that was going to be an option for you? 
I think when we when we signed up with uh, Stack, who are our producers, who do an incredible job, and big shout out to them. Stack is the home of the Football Ramble, which is one of the biggest football podcasts in the world, and our listenership went through the roof. Joel and I were just running it on our own, and then Luke Moore of Stack took us on board, and we, we, we signed on to their network. Our listenership jumped up very significantly, and then people start to get involved a bit more, and Joel and I had already had the idea for a club shop. Now, we're lucky because Joel and I often get quite shy or a little bit possibly naive sometimes when it comes to actually creating revenue from the show very much so in the early days not now bloody hell i'll stick an ashwood city sticker on anything and try and vlog it (laughs) but the the, the, (laughs) in the early days we'll be like oh maybe and then we sort of thought well we're trying to be a football club i can't think of any anything that exploits capitalism as much as a football club when you think about you know liverpool fc charging up to 90 quid for a for a shirt you know and then mm. obviously there's there's four different shirts a season and then they just they just rehash it the next season stick a new stick a new logo on it kind of thing so we didn't want to obviously go that far but we thought we could release a club shirt you know the home shirt and then after that the away shirt followed the third kit and then we had other other sort of requests that like people were wanting caps and beanies so that was the first thing that we did to kind of monetize the show but we didn't feel too much guilt sort of pushing it, you know, because we push it on social media. We, we, we do the occasional advert within the show. That took us by surprise of just how many people really wanted a uh, an Ashwood City shirt. We've sold hundreds now. And then obviously, as you alluded to, the, uh, the Patreon followed. In terms of your Patreon, in terms of asking people for donations, how do you keep that part of your community engaged? How do you keep them reaching into their pockets? Is that a challenge? Because... There's a burn on these things and there's so many demands as well on people's money for subscriptions. Netflix, Spotify, 5, 10, whatever podcasts on top of that, all demanding their £5 a month or whatever price tag they've decided to put on it. How do you keep that fresh? How do you keep those people engaged? How do you keep them wanting to continue donating? It's a great question, Jim. It really is. I think we started the Patreon a bit later on than we than we wanted to because we wanted to make we wanted to make sure that we had a lot of content that we were sitting on in order to release the patron e- even do a a trailer for it you know because with it being audio as you know there's not much with regards to like here's physical ashwood mm. city you know we, we we tried to do that with our well we, we tried and we succeeded in doing that with our player gifts with on the twitter where we have like actors playing the characters for dodgy gifts and stuff and what we did basically for the Patreon, as any smart business person should do, is we set it up in March of 2020. Now, I wonder what was going on around then. And <laughs> that was a, a real leap of faith. Hey, guys, it's a pandemic. Do you fancy giving us a fiver a month? But it was, it was to provide myself. I was going through a, a very tough time in, in, in my personal in my personal life with my, uh, my, my late wife having treatment. And it came to the point where we needed to support both Joel and myself and it was like right let, let, let's pull the trigger on actually releasing this Patreon and we'd had a lot of people request behind the scenes videos on you know bloopers that kind of thing and because we'd been quite not necessarily secretive but you'd never see a video of Paul Waggett who plays Patrick Nolan you'd never see a video of him delivering his Patrick Nolan dialogue and that's because we want people to keep the image of what they have for these characters in their heads but once we had a decent amount of footage of us all recording as a three and we thought this is quite fun i think people might quite like to see this and then other ideas that were sort of brewing in the back of my mind and i sort of said to joe i'll happily run the patreon i kind of know what 
I think I know what our listeners would would like to see or would like to hear or would like to receive. And so we set it up on a single level, five US dollars a month. You have to keep it you have to keep it fresh. Like you have to you have to make sure that you've got the content to do it. There's no point setting it up and letting it run into the ground in three months. And you have to advertise it to your strengths. That's that's where I'm going with this. You have to advertise it to your strengths. There's a lot of people who will use the, you know, that's less than the price of a cup of coffee. And I always go, yeah, but you get a cup of coffee. And if, if I'm at Starbucks, or if I'm, you know, <laughs> if I want a cup of coffee, I'm not there going, hmm, this is half of my Netflix subscription. I'm going, no, I want a cup of coffee. So I think you have to advertise to your strengths. So I make sure that every month there's at least one big reward which I'd, I'd call a big reward is either an exclusive episode i think we've done about nine of them now a full-length version of a song featured in the show uh for those of you who listen to the offensive you know that my character woody loves to sing so there's usually a um uh, a full-length song there there's interviews making ofs we have a, a video series that we do we have a few video series that we do actually and i sort of just trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what's What's popular with regards to trending videos and the sort of content that people are wanting? And I I, I sort of think of like what I like as a football fan. And I remember when Huddersfield Town got promoted to the Premier League, one of the first things I thought of was, oh my God, I can get Huddersfield Town stickers. I can get a sticker album and get Huddersfield Town shiny. So we've printed off quite a lot of uh, Ashwood City stickers, had them made. They're like a patron exclusive thing every time they purchase something they get merch discounts and they get some stickers so there are genuinely a few of our patrons who are trying to collect them all like their pokemon cards yeah so that's oh. so that, that's quite cool and it's, it's very flattering and we stay engaged with our audience on patreon as well and there is now we've introduced a second tier for ten dollars a month and people get access to a, a whatsapp group with patrick nolan who's our lead character and you'll get occasional whatsapp voice notes from him to do with the real worlds of football i think if if if, i mean i'm not sure if you're after my advice but if i were if i was to give advice it would be don't go into this half arse because it's 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 yet another another level of running your show that you really you can't forget about there have been a couple of weeks where i've gone oh no i I need to i need to you know I, i need to put this post up for the patron and that's just that's just being flooded under with all the different work joel and i do but just make sure you've got enough enough to churn out and also make sure you maintain the standard as well i'm very very proud of our patron and we have we have a real solid core of of members that have some of which have become friends and uh, i'm i'm really appreciative of that i was going to finish on a bit of advice for anyone who was looking to take the leap into a patreon or supporting cast or one of those multitude of options that are available at the moment but instead Mm. i'll ask your opinion on how you think the industry is going to shape up in this space as well because as i mentioned we're seeing more and more demand from subscription from various on-demand online entertainment streams be it music or films or be it podcasts and we're also seeing a growth in networks you guys are working with stack at the moment at VoiceWorks, we've got mm-hmm. the Sports Social Podcast Network, which is our network of sport podcasts. Do you think we'll see almost like a Netflix model within podcasting, where people can buy into a network to get those exclusive shows, be it a Stack or a Spotify or a Sports Social Podcast Network, where you kind of almost buy a season pass, or do you think it will continue to be mm. on a on a show by show basis? Do you know what? Personally, personally, I wouldn't like that to happen. I think one of the wonderful things about podcasts is that they're accessible and they're free. 
It's mm. not like I, I, I have a background in theatre and sometimes it is a case of I can't come to the show because it's in Scotland and I live in London, you know, or I can't come to the show in the West End because it's £80 a ticket. Whereas podcasting is available for anyone, absolutely anyone, you know, you just need an internet connection. That's it. You don't need me to tell you that. With regards to bonus content, I think that's a good way of doing it. If people, if people are really passionate about something, like I say, if it's a niche market and people, oh, this is, you know, th- th- this speaks to me in a way, whether it makes you laugh, whether it emotes sadness or reflection or positivity or self-help or any kind of current affairs show, I think if it speaks to you and you're passionate about it, you will go that extra mile and think, you know what, five US dollars or five quid to support these guys, it means a lot. It's like similar to like the rise of Etsy, for instance. Like a lot of people will would rather pay the extra bit of money to someone creating something on Etsy rather than give it to Jeff Bezos, you know, and and, and buy something else from Amazon. I think the minute you start monopolizing it and almost almost like putting it all into one big clump, I think for the actual podcast shows themselves, I think I I, I don't know. I think it's fine to be on on networks, obviously, as the offensive is. But I think the minute you start charging people for podcasts that aren't necessarily bonus content, I think that's a dangerous game. And I feel like we need to keep it accessible for all to a certain degree. Adam, fascinating to talk to you. Good luck for Ashwood City for the season. Keep up the good work with your fans. Thank you very well, much. But really nice to feature you on Sound Business. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jim. Once again, links to Adam's stuff can be found in the podcast description and I strongly recommend listening to The Offensive. It's a brilliantly written and brilliantly acted and brilliantly executed podcast. It's one of the best in the business. There's a link to that down there as well. Thank you very much for listening to this show. There's plenty more topics all about sound to be found in other episodes in this series, from audio branding to NFTs in the audio space, which is bang on trend at the moment. So make sure you check out the back catalogue and hit that follow button too, as there are plenty more to come in this series. Plus, if you've got an idea for an episode, if there's something you really want to hear about, or maybe you think you make a brilliant guest, reach out via social media you can get voiceworks on twitter that's voiceworks ai or you can find me that's at mr underscore jim bob get in touch there and if you want help with your audio strategy be it podcasts branding technology or anything in between please get in touch with the voiceworks team we'd love to speak to you you can do that via the website voiceworks.ai <laughs>